Blog Talk Hello there. Radio. Hello there. Hello, how are you? Excellent. I just wanted to make sure you were on the line. Yes, I'm here. Okay. So can you introduce yourself for the audience, please? I'm the president and founder of the African American Future Society, and I am a member of the World Future Society. Okay. And it's my understanding that you're going to talk to us about the state of black studies departments. Sorry, say that one more time, please. It's my understanding that you're going to talk to us about the state of black studies departments. Um, not just black studies, but the future of black America in general, yes. Okay. Uh, so let's, if we can, start off with your reaction to the Michael Brown case. Yes. Um, well, one of the things that I was saying um, prior was that the community in uh, Missouri is 65% um, black, and at the end of the day, they're not utilizing their voting power to change their situation. So this really should be a wake-up call to the community of Ferguson um, to utilize their voting power to change their situation. Uh, yes. Oh, you were the caller who called in at the last show. Yes. Ah, I didn't know that. Okay. So the state of black America, where are we? Well, one of the things is, as the African American Future Society, we basically try to follow trends and scenarios, and we work with the U.S. Census uh, Department to try to utilize these trends to, you know, basically um, identify a path of development where African Americans are going. And one of the things that's happening is most people are just painting a picture of doom and gloom and blight, you know, whereby in which they talk about the high incarceration rates, they talk about the high dropout rates, they talk about the lack of economic power, the lack of voting power. What we try to do is take all various statistics and try to develop a outcome um, that hopefully is much more favorable than some of the statistics that are being released. Mm. And how do we start to change some of the negative trends? Hello? To think tanks, for example, when it comes to even political power and strength and what we can do to direct our own lives. Most of us are just reactionary. At the end of the day, there's about $863 billion of black buying power, but yet that doesn't turn into voting power. It doesn't turn into economic development. Um, there's about 1 million African-American small businesses in America, and yet we still suffer a very high unemployment rate. And one of our campaigns is to try to get those 1 million um, small business owners to at least employ one African-American, and that would at least reduce the unemployment rate by 1 million African-Americans. Um, but one of the things you have to do is you have to get that dialogue going. You have to get people talking about a more positive outcome to even begin to paint the picture so that people can move towards that pathway 
so that they can arrive at a very good place. Mm. Were you are you familiar with the uh, State of Black America report by the National Urban League? Uh, that report um, in the regular, very much. What, what did you think of it? Well, I think I think one of the I think one of the faults of a lot of the, um, the focus groups is that it just paints a picture. It doesn't really paint. It doesn't really help us direct a pathway on where we're headed. It just basically states where we are at a position at a point in time. And so at the end of the day, it's much more important to take reports like uh, the Black America or reports that come out of the Pew Charitable Trust or reports that come out of the MacArthur Foundation or the Children's Defense Fund and turn those reports around in a much more positive game plan or a, a game plan that makes us move in a direction of positiveness. Mm. So th- there are two issues, as I see it, um, when it comes to the state of black America, specifically focusing on, let's say, the communities that are represented by the Congressional Black Caucus, right? Um, economic development in terms of uh, infrastructure and uh, empowerment when it comes to business development and jobs. So if you can kind of... And you don't have to agree with that, by the way. These are just my assertions. I think many poor communities are lacking uh, in terms of uh, actual economic development, and they're lacking in terms of getting quality jobs. So on those two fronts, economic development and job creation, how do you see and – and I heard what you said outside of, you know, getting businesses to hire specifically uh, African Americans. I'm not sure – uh, what the federal requirements are in terms of affirmative action, which I think is what you're referring to. Um, but on a broader scale, how do we create economic development, for example, in poorer communities? Let's start with that one. I think I think one of the things that I spoke about earlier about there being roughly one million um, African American small business owners, I think if they could just figure out how to employ at least one additional African American. Um, that that would at least reduce the unemployment rate by 1 million people. Um, I think there's approximately 1.13 million African-American small business owners, and 1 million of them are sole proprietorships. Um, so that in itself would be much more mm, realistic as far – and that could be very immediate. That's something that's like a low-hanging fruit. You could do that within three months. The other thing that's um, very short-sighted on the educational front is – the lack of understanding and preparing our students for the demographic shift. Um, if we know that there are more Spanish-speaking people and that the uh, Chinese uh, country of China is becoming a much more um, political global player on the economic uh, playing field, then we basically should be, par- to be preparing a curriculum that ensures that our children can be bilingual, if not trilingual, and make sure that they can negotiate business um, with these um, communities that have uh, shifted the economic um, buying power on the planet. And, and that's much more important um, than some of the other educational curriculums that I see out here today. And even the wonderful STEM curriculum is all well and good, but you know, at the end of the day, you're still relying on someone to employ you in a STEM field. And so you know, if you're not creating businesses, 
um, then you end up then you're going to end up working for someone at the end of the day. And most of the people you're going to end up working for are either going to be Chinese, Japanese, German, Russian, Spanish, um, and that pretty much means that you should be able to negotiate business with those people in their own indigenous language. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Obama's African summit? Mm. Well, I lived in Africa for about six years. I worked with some African governments. I ran some political campaigns in Sierra Leone, and I really much enjoyed the African summit. I think one of the things is that the barriers to trade with the United States and Africa is the biggest thing that keeps the United States from having a true foothold in the country. I think if I'm trying to do business in Africa and I have to pay 10 times as much as someone from Europe or China, then that stands to reason why Europe and China has a bigger footprint in Africa than the United States. So there has to be better mechanisms whereby in which transportation is afforded to U.S. businesses to be able to get a stronger foothold in the country. If that doesn't happen, then I don't think the United States is really going to have a strong foothold in the country. And then one of the things that I do find when I'm over there is that the name game of the international uh, donor community is how much money can we steal? Because at the end of the day, that's really our biggest input is providing food and aid. Mm. Very interesting. So you would say overall Obama has not had a great foreign policy track record? I think at the end of the day, I think it's a good effort. I don't think that if he cannot, I think if Obama cannot um, manipulate the, the the ability to trade on a fair footing with the rest of the global community with Africa, and of course Africa is a very far distance from the United States, that it will be very difficult um, to get a better, stronger foothold on the continent. Mm-hmm. Um, in your opinion, how easy would you say it is to be an entrepreneur in today's economy? I think today, I think today um, prisoners can be an entrepreneur behind their prison cell if they're savvy enough. So um, I think it's very easy to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And the organization that you were mentioning that you were a part of, how did that get founded? Well, the World Future Society has been around since the 1960s. Um, some of your listeners might remember Alvin Tuffler or Megatrends 2000, which are some of the very beginning um, books designed to talk about the future of the planet. And then you have organizations like that was around, the Sawyer Miller Group, for example, or the Rand Corporation, or the Heritage Foundation, or the United Nations even. Um, all of these groups plan for the future. And so, um, you know, back in 1983, after the 60s, um, I founded the African American Future Society because I did not find enough African Americans at the table um, directing or developing a positive future for African Americans. And so back in 1995 up through the present, or roughly 1993 up to the present, um, I've been trying to infuse not only the word future in African-American organizations around the country, but also trying to get them to think about futures planning and future scenario development. Mm-hmm. That's, that's amazing. Have you experienced any criticism or backlash? 
No, I think one of the things that happens is most people are just not familiar with the process. Um, I think most of us are so much on the defense that the offense is, is a new playing field for us. Um, I think um, most recently I was at the World Future Society Conference in Orlando where I held a panel session to talk about the future of African Americans after 2016, which is when Obama is about to lose, uh, leave office. And I think most African Americans are definitely afraid of what happens when he leaves office, whether or not the small gains we may have realized over the last eight years will diminish. Um, you know, who will be our national leader when Obama leaves office? Um, will there be a void? Um, for example, um, you know, what about the programs that he's put in place over the last eight years? Will he be reversed in Congress? Um, you know, what about the educational planning modules? What about, you know, small business loans? Um, those types of things are the decisions and discussions that need to be planned for and prepared for um, in order, I think, for us to have a, a blueprint for the future that gives everyone the opportunity and the marching orders where we're going to go for the next 20 years. Mm -hmm. And what do you think about that when it comes to pretty much Obama's legacy? What do you think will happen in terms of congressional action, et cetera? I think a lot of it will be threatened um, unless we really kind of, you know, dig our heels in and try to ensure that the things he put in place um, actually maintain. Um, I think that's very important. Um, I think the White House definitely has a policy on the future of African-American families. And one of the things I would hope is that um, a lot of African-Americans have even read the policy. Hmm, very interesting. Do you think that in terms of Obama's legacy, that time will be kind to him or look back on it unfavorably? Oh, I think that'll be favorable. I mean, the, the, all the historical strides he's made, just being who he is, cannot be undone by any of the actions that are currently in place. Mm -hmm. What do you think of My Brother's Keeper, that initiative that he uh, wrote? I like the brothers. I like the My Brothers Keepers um, platform. Um, I'm a mentor with the 5,000 role models here in Miami, Florida, and um, I think that if they can um, carry that forward all across the country, I think that would raise the level of consciousness that is pretty much lacking in the Black African American male community. Mm -hmm. Okay. In terms of the landscape for 2016. There are some people who speculate that Hillary Clinton is sort of leading in, in the prospective polls for president. Do you think that African Americans uh, would be held favorably in an administration of Hillary Clinton? I think that's fine, but I think that without going in with a game plan, they just go in blind. I mean, for example, Obama in 2011 put out a 45-page document called The President's Agenda and the African-American Community. I don't even know if many African-American leaders or elected officials have even read the document. And so at the end of the day, you know, what needs to happen is that this type of information needs to be digested, it needs to be picked apart, it needs to be analyzed, and it needs to be regurgitated into a blueprint that this president has put forward at least part of his vision for African-American communities well into the future. And I would only hope that the past eight years he's laid the foundation for that to happen. Now the question is who's going to pick up the torch 
and do that and march us forward in a, in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Do you think that we'll see another African-American president in the near future? Hmm. The near future. Well, you know, the near future can be 20 years. So maybe there'll be an African-American female president, yes. Another African-American male president, possibly no. And why the distinction when it comes to uh, gender? I think at the end of the day, with the incarceration rates of African-American males, the voting bloc, um, of the Latin American community and the just power shift for women in this country, um, a lot more of the voting bloc power, I think, will be with women than it will be with men. Huh, that's very interesting. A lot of people argue that the females have the voting advantage now. Yeah, the advantage now is there, but unfortunately, you know, possibly... The political will is not there. I think there's enough African-American women who lead a few Fortune 500 companies. Um, but just recently, over the last three years, we had a woman lead Yahoo, for example. So, you know, you need more women in those types of visible positions to, you know, put together a tidal wave of political will to get women to not only trust another woman in office, but to believe a woman can lead the country. Hmm. Very interesting. Do you think that there are any prospective people now who fit that bill? I think there are. I think the the question is whether they would step up. Um, I think um, I, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the, the, the two young ladies' names who have been leading the African um, agenda for the past uh, 12 to 16 years, uh, the Rice sisters, for example. I think that is a powerful combination that if they could just change the party line, I think either one of them could be president or vice president at any moment, day and time, and do a great job. Um, I think, I think, for example, um, Hillary Clinton would do a great job if, if she was president. Um, but any 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 woman who's going to be president has to have the round um, rounded out experience, not only nationally but at an international level. I think definitely they need to have a good handle on not only foreign policy but domestic policy. I think sometimes, for example, our foreign policy gets muddled um, because we don't understand the nuances between male and female relationships overseas, and that gets in the way of what we'd like to do overseas. Mm-hmm. Especially How would you where... your policy? I'm sorry, say that again, please? No, go ahead. Finish your thought. No, my thought was, especially where you have uh, rebels kidnapping women at will. I mean, that's just crazy. And so that definitely should let people know what the international community thinks about women. And so when we send a woman overseas to do foreign policy, you know, it's kind of like, you know, are we really serious if we don't even see what's on the ground? You know what I mean? It's kind of just throwing mud on the wound, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, How would you describe your personal politics? My personal what? Your personal politics. Uh, in relationship to what? Are you a Democrat? Are you uh, an independent? Oh, I understand. Um, I'm a Republican. I've been a registered Republican since I was 18 years old. And one of my, wow. uh, and one of my pieces on my blog basically says that the black community is too fragmented to even be in parties. 
I think once you fractionalize African Americans in the way that we are between Tea Parties, Republicans, Democrats, Independents, it makes our voting block so weak that we really can't effectuate any real change. Um, Newt Gingrich at one time put a report out. It's called Ascending to mm, – let me see if I can find the report. I think it's called something like Ascending to the Future of Government, where, where, where one of the things that happened was to basically develop an agenda first and get the goals in mind before you talk about party politics. At the end of the day, if education of every student in America is very important, then it shouldn't matter whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, or Independent, or a Tea Party. At the end of the day, you should ensure that education is the first and foremost um, thought before you even move forward. If the thought is to make sure that everyone has housing in America, in America then it shouldn't matter what the polypolitic is. And so... Um, there are some documents out there where um, lots of large organizations have been able to develop uh, future plans before the, uh, above politics, which have resulted in the dominant group in the society being much more successful than many ethnic groups because the ethnic groups continue to fight amongst themselves for crumbs while those in power, Republicans or Democrats, still play golf together on the same golf course. Wow. I was actually hoping, I was expecting that you would say that you were a Democrat. You had so many positive things to say about President Obama. Well, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the comment is that the goal is much more important than the politics, and that's what people need to understand. It's, it's not the politics, it, it's the plan. It, it's what you have to say that makes one want to vote for you. And I did vote for Obama. I'm not afraid to say that. Um, because I felt that he was the right person at the time to move this country forward, and he proved everyone correct, and he did a great job. Yeah. Would you by any chance consider a run for Congress? I think we may need someone like you. <laughs> well, um, again, it, it, it would all depend on the voting demographics, because that it's all a numbers game. I mean, I'd love to run for Congress. Um, but again, as I mentioned earlier, it all depends on the voting demographics. Um, but I do hope that, especially amongst African Americans, we as a voting bloc definitely identify the fact that our plan of action is much more important than the party politics. That's much more important. Um, I mean, you know, I just, I mean, I would love to, I mean, if, 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 if Obama had a great, if, if Obama's plan falls into a Republican black candidate's hands and it falls in a Tea Party candidate's hands, and it falls in a Democratic and independent hands. I, I don't necessarily care who shares the message as long as the message is on point. That's the most critical thing for me. Um, right now, I think that um, the issue that happened in Missouri and Ferguson, um, the death that happened in New York City with the strangulation uh, of that African-American male um, and some of the other things that have gone on in this country, um, are just a wake-up call, and we really cannot allow party politics to divide our ability to get things done. Yeah, I mean, you are really spearing the playbook that I think the Republican Party might want to listen to in this country. Mm. Well, I, I don't know yet, um, <laughs> but thank you. Yeah. Do you, do you think that there's a, a problem when it comes to the Republican Party reaching out to African Americans? 
I think one of the things that happens, unfortunately, is people do what's comfortable for them. And so it's really a question of infusing yourself in the dialogue and putting yourself at the table. I think many of us, unfortunately, have become so fragmented that we don't even know how to say hi to people of different ethnic groups anymore. Hmm. So what would be your recommendation? I mean, is it just hiring someone new who's a diversity action officer? I mean, what what would be the... I don't think it's just an affirmative action officer. I think for years, affirmative action officers have been given the vice presidential title many, many times to make a place at the table for African-Americans to say that... um, that diversification has happened within corporate America, but that's only one person within one title. That doesn't change the makeup of the cake. All that does is put one candle on the icing. And so if you're not there at the ingredients when the cake is being made, then you're not really affecting a lot of change. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I right on money when it comes to your analysis, uh, and it's been really a pleasure speaking with you. Um, I always love speaking to people who put it out there simply and plainly, and you did that for us tonight, so thank you so much. Well, again, I thank you. I don't know if any of my other colleagues have come on board, um, but one of the things I would hope with Leslie, and we did invite Leslie to the World Future Society Conference in Orlando this past July, and hopefully we can continue this dialogue on some type of basis where we could maybe increase the call-ins by other African Americans that really want to talk seriously about the future. Oh, absolutely, and I'm sure Leslie will welcome that opportunity. I did not get a buzz that we have any other callers, so I don't think we do. But if you want to, in closing, you can give us some We don't have any other callers. Uh, Roy, we don't have any callers, but I will definitely recommend that Roy Paul should be on your future panel next year. Let's say you call. All right. Well, Roy, well, I'll, I'll try well, to make it the next summer. Okay, well, Roy, what I would ask you to do is shoot me an email at yul69 at yahoo.com, or you could just Google the African American Future Society, and you'll find me, and I'd be more than happy to share information with you, and I welcome you aboard. Absolutely. We will get that started. Uh, if not tonight, then definitely tomorrow. All right. Thank you so much, Leslie and Roy. I thank you very much for having me. Thank, thank you, you so much. Good night. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right. That was Julie Anderson talking about the state of black America. He really put it down simply and t-